The other day we were at the grocery store. We're going to change gears here. The other day we were at the grocery store walking by and there was a bunch of cars. You know, you walk by the cars, you see a sticker on I saw a sticker on someone's car. It was a quote from Francis of Assisi and it said this, at all times preach the gospel and if necessary use words. You've probably heard that or read that at some point. And as I walked by, I thought to myself, I don't, I don't really agree with that. I don't really agree with that. I mean, the reason for that is because if you know anything about the God of the Bible, he's a talker. I mean, he speaks. The scriptures are really clear that faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And so God has not called us to be silent. He has called us to shout from the rooftops. He shouts from the heavens. Don't you know my son? And so then I started thinking, what was the heart behind what Francis was saying? At all times, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Because I think the heart behind that statement is the heart behind the message today. And so as we jump into Matthew chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 25 and Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be in those three chapters. I just want to say that I'm really grateful for Pastor Steve Brubaker, our accounting pastor. He really helped me shape this message this week, as well as another man, Paul Borthwick. He wrote a book in 2015 called Great Commission, Great Compassion. Because what we're going to be talking about today is what is described in that book, it's the idea that the great commission of Jesus Christ requires us to show great compassion. And great compassion requires us to share the great commission of Jesus Christ. They, they go together. You can't separate them. What is the great commission? Let me remind you, it's mentioned about five times in the New Testament. But most, the main verse is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he looks at you, he looks at me. And he says throughout the ages, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. GCC just summarizes that in one simple sentence. We've been called to help people know and follow Jesus. And yet, if we know what the Great Commission is, what is this great compassion that we are to show? Compassion for me personally is one of those controversial subjects. Over the past five weeks, we've been in a sermon series called First Things First. This sermon series has covered the core values of Grace Community Church. If you were to ask, what's the DNA? What's the heart behind what we're doing here? Number one, very importantly, we preach the authoritative, inerrant, an infallible word of God without question. We believe as a church that prayer is essential for our life and our ministry. We have celebratory worship. We believe in reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ. Certainly, we believe in grace and our relationships. There's a reason why Pastor Will and Barbie and the 35 other people that founded this church nearly 28 years ago didn't call it Judgment Community Church. They called it Grace Community Church and for good reason. And yet the last core value we're going to look at in this series is the core value of compassion. Compassion for hurting people in a broken world. That's how we describe that. It's, it's controversial. Excuse me. It's controversial for me, and it's, and it's mostly controversial for the world we live in. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but think about what is going on in our culture today. Everyone seems to have an opinion on the matter, and yet no one has seemingly seemed to figure out exactly what compassion is and how to express it 
to our neighbors, to our friends, even to our enemies? How are you compassionate toward your enemies? See, most people feel guilty. They sit on two sides of the pendulum. They either feel guilty because they don't show enough compassion, or they sit on the other side of the pendulum that rationalizes and ignores the suffering and the plight of humanity. Versus there's many of us sitting in the middle crying out saying, is there no hope for how we should show and feel towards those who are hurting and suffering? And there's good reason why compassion is controversial. I thought of several this morning. For example, in our current news, there is a major debate. It's a serious debate about the boundaries of compassion. We wonder how much is too much. Personally, I hear people ask, who should I be compassionate toward? And then who should I tell to get lost, get out, and get going? And then for those of us that want to express compassion, it's like this tug-of-war wrestling match. We, we wrestle and we wonder with God, am, am I enabling the people I'm trying to help or am I helping them? Am, am I hurting them or am I actually providing for them? And then if you've ever shown compassion, the fear is, is that when the person you're trying to come alongside doesn't actually do what you want, that you actually get cynical and then hypocritical and then judgmental. See, compassion is controversial. It's controversial, too, because the Bible doesn't quite seem to give us any answers at first glance, does it? On one hand, Jesus will say, love your enemies. On the other hand, what does he say? Don't throw your pearls before the swine. What's that mean? That means that some people aren't worth your time, your talent, your treasure. Easy to say, hard to live out. And then yet on one hand, Jesus will say, and the scriptures will repeat, invite the foreigner into your lands. And on the other hand, it says, hey, you know, be careful of the wolves and the robbers because they're going to seek to kill, destroy. So be careful there. See, if you search the scriptures, it just kind of this overview. On one hand, you, you feel like God's saying, go all in on your compassion. On the other hand, you're saying, is God really telling me to be cautious with it? Now, why do I quote those passages? I quote those passages because over 12 years of pastoral ministry, that's what some people have come to me. They've come to me with those passages. And they use them out of context to argue one side or the other on why they should show compassion or not show it at all. And hey, in your argument, if you can quote Jesus, then you must be right. Right? The third reason why compassion is so controversial is because, to be honest with you, our dictionaries don't even know how to define the word. Our dictionaries. I looked up the word compassion this week in two separate dictionaries and found two different definitions for the same word. And it's the interesting part is the differences are subtle, but subtle here makes, makes a major difference. The Merriam-Webster Trusted Dictionary. This is how it defines compassion. It says compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. While the new Oxford American Dictionary says compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. 
Now, did you notice the subtle difference between these two definitions? Merriam-Webster mentions a desire to alleviate, whereas the New Oxford refers to the broad systematic feelings associated with compassion. The New Oxford does not connect our feelings of compassion with any action. I mean, think about this. Our own dictionaries can't agree on the word. One says compassion is observation without action, while the other one says your observation leads to action. It leads to action. And so what do we do? What do we do as Christians that have come to know and follow Jesus Christ? What do we do? How do we at least define the word? Biblically speaking, the Bible doesn't often define words for us. It describes words for us. It's interesting, as you look at the life of Jesus, you will find descriptions of him being compassionate. And that's how we often define things. This is what compassion is based on what we see Jesus doing. So in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34, we see an example of compassion. And at least this will maybe help us find a definition. Why don't you look at this with me? Verse 29 of chapter 20. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of God, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. What we have here is Jesus entering into a conversation with two blind men despite the efforts of a compassionless crowd to silence the men. At first glance, the men are asking for mercy. But once Jesus hears and listens and acknowledges them, They ask for their sight to be restored. Then Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion, verse 34. Note that Matthew didn't say he had mercy. The men were asking for mercy, probably because they weren't finding any mercy in the crowd. And yet, what is mercy? Mercy is giving someone what they need, not what they deserve. In some sense, though, think about this. The crowd did give the men what they deserve. You don't deserve to come and talk to God. You don't deserve to come and be touched by God. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you to hear your words, your pity, to see your foolishness. Just be quiet. In American culture... We have somehow missed that we think God owes us something. Doesn't owe me a thing. On my best days, what I could offer God is rags. He doesn't have to listen to me. He doesn't have to look at me. 
He doesn't have to extend love to me. He doesn't owe me anything. And yet it's in Matthew chapter 20 when Jesus is walking by. Well, you saw it, didn't you? The God who could do something decided that he had to do something. The God that could do something decided that he had to do something. And so he was moved by compassion. Here we see how God feels towards the broken. More than that, he acts and he doesn't ignore them. Now for me personally, when I read Matthew chapter 20, this story becomes all too real. Some of you know this, but not all of you. I was born legally blind. I have a twin brother. I imagine, and he is legally blind. So I imagine as Jesus is walking along, he looks at two blind men named Paul and Tyler. And he listens to us. And he hears us. When I was a child... We discovered that you could uh, manipulate contacts by putting a certain color dye into them, and it would allow Tyler and I to be able to function in society. If we didn't have our contacts, I'm wearing them right now, I would not be able to see. It'd be like going down a, a hill on a, a snowboard or skis without any eye protection. It'd be total whiteout. That's what would happen to us. And so when I was a child, we discovered that you could manipulate contacts to put color to filter out lights so that we could function in society. Each contact when I was a child cost $1,400. We had an eye doctor in Kennett Square. We would go, and we had, that's one contact, not two, $1,400. It was such a hardship for my mom and my dad. I remember as my mother walked into the office down in Jennersville of Miller Eye Care with Dr. Eric Miller standing there with tears down her face, looking at him and saying, could you do something? And him looking at her and saying, what do you want me to do? I I want them to see. But we can't afford $1,400 per contact. And moved by compassion, Dr. Miller said, well, what if I used my own money and I bought the machine that put the color into the contacts, what if I bought that and then I charged you $25 per contact, would that work? He didn't have to do that. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. Don't miss this. Jesus is walking along. There's a crowd there and it says Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Here, we are reminded that Jesus had compassion, and he extended mercy. Compassionless people that are in the world today often find excuses to do nothing or to, at worst, exploit those who are suffering. Versus those who have compassion, they freely give. Doing something 
with what they can. I still to this day go to Dr. Eric Miller in Jennersville. You want to know why? He gave me the ability to see and read the words of Jesus and said, for God so loved the world. Let's make it personal. For God so loved Paul and Tyler, those two blind kids, that if they would believe in him, they would not perish, but they would have everlasting eternal life. You know, there's going to be a day when these eyes will be fixed and I'll see Jesus face to face. No lenses, no, no correctiveness. It's going to be, yes, that's what you look like. And it all started because one man decided to be compassionate. Matthew tells us that after Jesus touched him, that these two men followed him. You ever stopped and paused and said, well, why in the world would they follow him? I mean, maybe they follow Jesus here because they get their sight back, or maybe they follow Jesus because they were face-to-face with compassion. And if you've ever seen compassion, it is so worth following, isn't it? If you ask me, based on the life of Jesus, compassion is more than a mere feeling of sympathy as described in the New Oxford Dictionary. It goes beyond our feelings, beyond our emotions, beyond pity for the plight of humanity, but true compassion extends mercy. True compassion must go beyond how we feel and it must move us to action. Merriam-Webster was correct. It is an attempt to alleviate. The word compassion itself is from the Latin, cumpati. If you break that word down, cum is the Latin word for with, and pati is the Latin word for suffer. So you suffer with people. That's where we get the English word compassion. It's the idea that you are engaged, that you're not just sitting along the side, ignoring what's happening, even buried your head in the sound. sand. You got into it. You were with them. You did more than just feel their suffering. You were, you were feeling it with them. You were engaged in it. You went beyond just feeling sorry. You tried to help. And in some regards, that's what compassion is. All throughout the scriptures, you see God calling those who have been redeemed and saved and forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, that we walk in obedience to him, but we are called to what? Share the good news of Jesus, what he's done for us, and at the same time, show compassion for a broken and hurting world. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. All our calls to God. God's people to extend compassion to this world. And yet the most famous verse of them all is what scholars say is called the great compassion. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. You've heard of the great commission. There is a great compassion. Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46. I want to read for you this future event. This is going to happen at some point in the future. Jesus is going to stand as judge, and he's going to separate everyone into two categories. And notice how the judge, the king Jesus, makes his separation. This is what it says in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. 
you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Notice that Jesus offers his kingdom to those who have been saved by grace through faith and who have shown the same compassion that they've been shown by God toward to others. They've received compassion, and so they give compassionately. But notice what Jesus says to the compassionless, the cold of heart. This is what he says in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So why does Jesus not let them in? Because they did not. They did not. They did nothing. Apparently, they had the abilities. They had the capabilities. They knew about God's grace and compassion towards them, but they refused to extend it. Either they made a whole bunch of excuses or they were so focused on themselves. Who knows? The reality is, is they did not. And yet for those who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, for those who have embraced the compassion of a compassionate God, then God calls us to show that same compassion to hurting people in a broken world. You see, the great commission of Jesus Christ requires us to show compassion, and the great compassion of Jesus Christ demands we share the great commission. Even Jesus' half-brother James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so what do we do? I mean, what do we do? We've at least come to some kind of agreement on the definition that compassion leads to action. We must do something. So what do we do? I, I got to be honest with you. At times, I'm not the most compassionate person. You might be surprised by that. There's times where my own wife will look at me like, we should do something here. I don't know if you struggle. I say, well, it's not going to help. We're just going to be throwing something away. If, if you are sitting here this morning, the first thing that you should do when people come to you who are broken, or there's circumstances or situations around you that are broken, 
whether you want to extend compassion or not, the first thing you do is, is ask God to give you a heart of compassion. I would not be here today able to do what God has called me to do if it wasn't for the compassion of Dr. Eric Miller. And yet, when there are circumstances around me, I have to be reminded, God, give me a heart of compassion. Your heart. I want you to hear this. Jesus allowed himself to feel, so it's okay to feel for people. But notice, when he acted, he didn't act as others often thought he should. Jesus always saw himself as the son. And so he acted out of his identity as a son. When you act in compassion, you act out of your identity, identity of a, as a child of God. The world today says, no, your identity is your sexuality, or your identity is your job, or your identity is how much money you make, or your identity is where your house is, or the car you drive. No! The identity, your identity is none of that. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And so look to the son as an example. He didn't always do what everyone expected him to do. He did what his father required him to do. And as a result of that, his compassion was always in agreement with the father. And so Jesus saw himself as a servant, not someone who was called to be served. And so he expects those who minister to do so. You and I go out as servants. So if you're finding yourself in a situation where you don't want to show compassion, then ask God to give you a heart of compassion that aligns with who you are in Jesus. Secondly, don't get used to suffering. Don't get used to it. Dr. Robertson McQuellen from Columbia International University, he tells a story about visiting his son in India one time. His son was working in, and living in the slums of Calcutta. It's a city of about 15 million. And he wasn't far from the Sisters of Charity, which Mother Teresa helped start. And so Dr. McQuillan, world traveler, used to traveling, flies into Calcutta. And a man picks him up from the airport. And on his trip from the airport to where his son was, he became overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the smells of humanity. In the sewer water of about a million people that lived around it. So much so that the person driving him noticed that he was becoming overwhelmed and said to him, don't worry, Dr. McQuillan, in a few days you'll get used to it. McQuillan responded, that's exactly what I don't want to happen. I don't want to get used to it. Don't get used to it. Suffering and brokenness is never easy to see, and yet God has called us not to turn our eyes away from it, not to, not, not to look blindly at the world we live in. No, open your eyes. See the world that we live in and enter into those spaces. It always impressed me. There's this little, little verse in the New Testament that it's easy to run past. It's found in Luke chapter 19, and it just gives you a little glimpse at the heart of Jesus. And this is what it says. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. He wept over it. How many times did Jesus see the city of Jerusalem? 
as a little baby growing all the way to manhood? How many times did he enter into the city? How many times did he see the city from a distance? How many times did the city come to his mind? And yet here Jesus is weeping over the sin and suffering of humanity. Don't get used to suffering. It's not normal. It's something God wants us to enter into. Thirdly, keep in mind that broken people are broken people. That broken people are still people. Think about this. They're they're still people. No one gets life totally right. No one ever has. And so as you enter into relationships or conversations with people that are broken, remember at their heart that they are still a human being, whether they wear a three-piece suit or a jumpsuit, whether they are working a full-time job or can't find a job, they are still a person. They are someone's son. They are someone's daughter. They were still created by God. And it's interesting, Psalm 145 says that our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and compassionate toward those his hands have made. Well, the person in front of you was made by God. And so that means even though they're broken, they are still a human being. So what do we do? Ask God to give you a heart of compassion. Don't get used to the suffering that is going on around the world. Thirdly, broken people are still people. But finally, do something. Don't be afraid to do something. You know, fear is a tool of the devil, okay? It's a tool of the devil. And it tells us, oh, don't spend your time with them. Don't give any of them your money. Don't waste your resources on them. They're just going to waste it. And so you let the least of these pass by you year after year after year. And the sad reality is is one day you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was naked, and I was in prison, and you did nothing. Yeah, but Lord, I was afraid. What if they took advantage of me? Yeah. Fear is a tool of the devil. It doesn't, I'm not saying do things without wisdom. I'm not saying don't do things without counsel. I'm just saying don't, don't operate out of fear. And don't use that as an excuse not to do anything. God has invited us to do something. In this book, Great Commission, Great Compassion by Paul Borthwick, he tells a story about a father and son walking along the seashore at low tide. And they begin to notice that there's hundreds, if not thousands, of starfish that have washed up along the shore. The son, little boy, does what a lot of little boys would do. He begins to take the starfish and chuck them into the ocean, one by one, just chucking as many as he possibly can. The father stops his son and says, son, what good does it do? Look, there's, there's thousands of these starfish along the shore. What good does it do to pick up one and throw it back into the ocean? And the son looks up at his father, grabs another starfish, and says, Dad, for this one, I can make a difference. For this one, I can make a difference. For this one, you could make a difference. That's what Jesus is asking of us. 
For this one, for this one hurting person in this broken world that we live in, you could show some compassion and extend mercy. Do they deserve it? No. Neither do you. You know, there are folks that get awfully cynical with Grace Community Church at times because they'll say to us, why do you send missionaries overseas? Why don't you help your own folks? Well, the reality is, is for this one, for this one, we will go there. And for this one, we will stay here. And for this one, we will go over there. And for this one, we will do this. And for that one, we will do this. It's one of the reasons why we send missionaries out. And, And it's not just construction. It's medical. It's food. It's the idea of an unto packing event. It's the reality of they're there. And then here, we do support. I mean, just think about this. You've heard this. We've said it weeks after weeks that we we support Afghan refugees right here at the Haven in Lancaster. That we as a church are supporting those that are here. You know, we offer free pastoral counseling. We still provide pastoral care at at a really high level. We, have, we offer free funerals. Why? Because people are already broken enough. They've lost a loved one. They don't need a church to send them a bill. We as a church are committed to, to walking alongside those who are hurting and suffering, which is why we support Align Ministries, North Star Ministries. We support Water Street. We support uh, Solanco Food Bank, the Conestoga Food Bank. It's one of the reasons why we as a church have dementia support groups, cancer support groups. Uh, we have addiction support groups. We have grief support groups. And we don't charge for these things. It's because God has enabled us to be able to come alongside those who are hurting, and we want to come alongside. And the question for you is, what are you going to do? Where are you going to serve? How are you going to get involved? Because God has called you, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, to extend compassion to hurting people in a broken world. I I do hope you take serious that invitation to come alongside with the Pack Cope event for Unto, February the 24th. You'll meet some new people, but you could bring your grandkids and your kids and you could say, let's serve together. Let's do something together. Let's make a difference for the one. Another way that you can serve is with another ministry. It's called Christ in Action. I want to invite Chris Zitzman to come on up here. Would you give Chris a hand? He's more nervous than you are. Trust me. Chris and I have got to know each other this past weekend. Chris is a wonderful guy. Chris, you work with Christ in Action, and for some of us, we're not sure what that is or what that means. So could you just maybe explain to us what is Christ in Action? Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Pastor Paul. Um, Christ in Action was founded in 1982 by Dr. Denny Nisley and his wife, Sandy. Denny actually is from here. Uh, he went to Solanco High School and also met Jesus in a barn just over the hill, what used to be House of the Lord. And in, uh, he started serving God. Uh, God healed him that morning in that barn of a crippled leg that they were going to amputate. And so then he started serving God, and God led him to start Christ in Action in 1982. 
And so what that looks like today is that we have a, uh, a core team. We have a staff, uh, six full-time missionary staff families that travel America, and we get to extend acts of compassion to people that have lost or uh, had their home damaged after a disaster. And so sometimes what that looks like is they need something to eat, right? Food. Sometimes that looks like they had a tree fall on their house. Uh, we can take our heavy equipment and our chainsaw crews and take that tree off of their house. We can clear debris from homes that was blown in from the next zip code. Sometimes their homes are not even repairable. And so with our heavy equipment and our skilled operators, we can come in at no charge and take the rest of the home down to the curb so that they can rebuild or repair. And it's all free. And so they look at you with this funny look and say, free? What, what do you mean? What are the strings? What, what strings are attached? They don't understand this great act of compassion. And so in that, we get to share the gospel. Christ in Action has always been an evangelistic ministry. And so now we get to do that by extending compassion to that and therefore get to share the gospel. And evangelism is one of the six, right? Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's something you mentioned there, chainsaw crews. So do I get to be a part of one of those crews if I sign up? I'm just wondering for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. Only if you have an agitator trophy. Oh, yeah. Yes. So if Jared goes in, I can be a part yeah, of it. I yeah, like yeah. the way this works. Yeah, this can be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, man, this is exciting. You get to cut things up and cut them down. Settle oh, yeah. down. Okay. All right. Back to what we're doing here. Yeah, I got really excited. <laughs> now, there is a training on March the 9th that we're hosting here at Grace Community yeah. Church with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so that training is going to be about uh, disaster relief and preparedness. And so we can sign up for that in your bulletins. You can sign up online. You can sign up, you know, on the app. But how... What is that going to be? Why don't you just explain a little bit what that's going to entail? Yeah, so it is our one-day disaster preparedness seminar. It's going to be right here at Grace on March 9th. It'll be from 8 a.m. to 2 or 2.30 p.m. Uh, lunch is provided. So you got to come for that. Um, but we're going to be going over some practical things that you can do in your homes. Okay, so this is not a training about coming and volunteering with us, although we want you to do that too. But you don't have to have any special training to volunteer with Christ in action. This is to do what we've been talking about is finding some ways and some strategies that you in each of your homes can be prepared, not just to take care of yourself, but to be ready to reach out to your neighbors when something happens. Because this is not just about us. This is about us being moved to reach out and to meet the needs of our neighbors. We're also going to talk about grace as a body, right? What are some things and strategies that grace as a local body can come together and prepare for uh, in order to be a light to the community so that when people have those kinds of needs, they come to you, and after they get those needs met, then they're ready to hear the gospel and more open to it oftentimes. So we're excited to bring this. Uh, we're going to be out in the lobby at the table 
we would love to talk to you about it. You can sign up right there at the table. Uh, and I understand that all first responders, the church is covering the registration for that. So right. that's awesome. Thank yep. you for doing that. Now, it's one of those things. I mean, yes, we are going to cover for first responders. I, I think one of those things that's interesting is we would never wish a disaster would ever come upon anybody. But in light that it does, we as Christians can come alongside and be prepared in order to help that. It was interesting. There's a church that I work with up in northern PA, and they have actually turned their church into like a warming center. Yeah. So if there's a disaster, tornado, anything that would come, the community can come together, not just people individually helping their neighbors, but actually the church plays a key role in that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we'll go over. What does it look like to be a shelter? What does it look like to have some food services ready to go in the event something happens? You guys do get snow, so I hear. Yeah. Um, and it's so what does that look real like? Real serious. With yeah. four-wheel drive vehicles, right? There's some very very practical. There's a church down in, in Virginia, down where we're based, that they bought an old ambulance, and so now they go out and serve first responders when there's extended calls, and they serve food and beverages to the first responders. That's also a great opportunity to minister to them. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure there's lots of things that we can pray for you about personally, as well as for Christ in action. So how can we pray for you guys? Thanks for asking. We are six full-time missionary staff families that make all this happen. We have um, one of our part-time staff families that are members here at Grace, which is awesome. Um, and so, but it's a spiritual battle, man. This is frontline stuff. Uh, just two days ago, one of our board members, Kevin in Virginia, was almost killed in an automobile incident. There was a truck that kicked up a piece of metal came across several lanes through his windshield and missed him by an inch. Oh, my. Um, right before I came up here, I was supposed to have all four of my kids along with me, but they, two of them got sick, and so they had to stay back. Um, we've got volunteer or staff families that are uh, making big decisions about, you know, where what's next for us as far as a, you know, we deploy, we deployed 101 days last year at disaster sites. And so looking at big purchases like campers, because that's where we live uh, most of our days. So we would ask for your prayers. Um, there are people that support us financially. Uh, all of our staff raise our own support. Uh, and so we uh, also don't get any government funding. We've operated debt-free for 42 years. God has provided an amazing facility down in Virginia. Um, but pray for us and come to the training. You can learn more about it. We'd love to talk to you afterward. But thank you, and thank yeah. you for your prayers. No, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for coming. I want to pray for you now. You. Heavenly Father, would you all join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Chris. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and kind. Lord, as Chris was talking and as he shared this morning, it doesn't escape me the frailty of our lives, how quick things can be over. And yet, Lord, you've given us breath in our lungs. You've given us life to be able to serve those around us, to be able to care for them. Lord forbid anything would happen to our neighbors or our friends, but would we be in a position or a place to be able to minister? And then, Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, do what only he can do? allow an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this man. Thank you, Lord, for his family that has entered into this with him. Would you heal his kids? And Lord, also, would you extend their ministry? Would people pick up the call and the mantle 
to bring together the commission that we've been given and the compassion that we've been shown. Bring them together. For your glory and your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Would you give Chris a hand? be out in the lobby. There's a table in the lobby. You can go talk with Chris or his associates after the service. There's one more thing I want to say, and that's in your sermon notes. There is a simple prayer there. Got that prayer from Paul Borthwick's book, Great Commission, Great Compassion. I just want to encourage you to this week, take time out of your, your life, your schedule, and pray this prayer. It's simple. It's short. It reminds us of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what we could potentially do if we're willing for others. Would you stand with us and would you worship together?